Hello, I'm Sam Brownsword, and I'm joined by Adam Bond. Good evening. For another edition of the Sofa Football Podcast, we hope you continue to enjoy listening to football's biggest names from our sofa to your sofa. We've slapped a big label entitled the Confederations Cup on this pod, and for your pleasure, invited Brazil football expert Fernando Duarte and also added a splash of Italian football knowledge by inviting Paolo Bandini to join us. Right, let's get straight to it. We start by analysing Brazil's performance at the Confederations Cup, hear about the protests, as well as discussing the latest transfer news regarding mainly Paulinho, Cavani and El Shirawi. Fernando, uh, what message was embedded in Brazil's campaign, do you think? And uh, what's the narrative would have been if they hadn't have won it? Well, if they haven't, if they haven't won it, uh, there would be a lot of uh, doubts about where they could go into the World Cup. They needed a psychological boost of a good tournament. I think they had a good tournament up to the, to the, to the, to the match against Spain. But the way they struggled against Uruguay left a big question mark. Hanging around it was like you know Uruguay was the first team to properly give Brazil a, a pressure mark him, and we we even call Uruguay Spain B because for like ten or fifteen minutes in Belo Horizonte they put Brazil on the back foot, so that was uh, kind of like an indication that they would struggle if Spain was was deployed the kind of a uh, normal pressure they usually do. Mm. Having said that, the way that they play against Spain actually filled people with uh, with, with hope. I think it's it's only one match. You shouldn't take it too too seriously. But it was interesting to see how Brazil managed to, to basically impose themselves in that game. You can look for a lot of caveats. Okay, they were tired because of the of the you know overtime thing. They 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 were playing in the heat. But let's also remember that many of these Brazilian guys haven't been living in Brazil for ages, so they also felt the heat whenever they played. You know, it's just just not something genetic that stays with you. Uh, in general terms, it was it was quite encouraging to see that Brazil managed to, re- to put something resembling a team, and they should build up on that instead of just thinking, okay, now we give Spain a whooping. Let's uh, actually think everything is sorted. No, there are issues that need to be sorted. But boy, it did feel good to see them bossing the world champions. <laughs> I'm sure it did. Paolo, from an t- Italian perspective, was Italy's main success the the merging or? Would you say marrying of sort of the Pirlo and Balotelli access that we saw in the Confederations Cup? I think that's important. I don't know if I'd say that was the, the main success, and I, and I still don't know if, I would, if that's necessarily uh, a perfect merger. In, in some ways, what was interesting was that Italy played their probably their best game of the whole tournament against Spain in a game when Balotelli wasn't present. Now, mm. there's lots to that. It's the first time also they've gone to the three-man defence, which they used so effectively at the Euros. So there's lots of can't just put it down to one player's absence or presence, but it was interesting to see how uh, certain things worked a little bit differently when he wasn't on the field. That's a tricky thing to, to get your head around because he's such an important player, he's such a, uh, a devastating player and an yeah. influential player when he's on the field, but generally you know, did some good things. He was made himself available to the team and made himself a guy who could hold the ball up and bring others into play in a way that the Balotelli doesn't, and I thought that was a, an interesting comment made by Prandelli in the press conference mm. he gave after Italy's um, last game, after the third place against Uruguay, he was asked whether or not things might have gone differently against Spain with Balotelli there, and he said, look, uh, I'm not going to get involved in hypotheticals, you don't know, and he said that Balotelli 
can, you know, Brad Teddy can still learn lots about how to about how to work for the team, and I think that's what he was getting at with the you know, where he did sacrifice himself in a way that Balotelli didn't. So I don't know. I think that the, it was a very positive tournament for Italy in the sense that they were able to play so well against Spain, and they were able to get the semi-finals. There were lots of uh, positive performances within it, but there were also some some ups and downs. So I think Italy, as a whole, viewed this more as a as a learning tournament than anything else. Yeah, is is Giladino the only option if Balotelli isn't there through suspension? The most likely. No, not at all. I, I think there's even a reasonable chance that Giladino won't be in the World Cup next summer, and that's what we have to wait and see because there's all sorts of young forwards in Italy at the moment who are establishing themselves. We're talking about guys like Mattiadesimo, uh, Insigne, Napoli, uh, even potentially someone like Borini. So there's, there's lots of young players like that. You've also got uh, Pablo Osvaldo, the obvious one, who's mm. again a tall, strong player who can hold the ball up and play in the middle of an attack. So I think there's there's lots of different options. That they... In looking at um, those options, Giacarini particularly impressed me, and Diamante also at times. Um, what do you think their chances are of featuring at the World Cup? And how many people from this team do you think won't be there? Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a few people who are sort of obviously in doubt. I think uh, Sebastian Jovinka who came on uh, to not much effect against Spain, and in fact another player who came on to, to not much effect against Spain, Alberto Aguilani, there are a couple of guys whose positions are in doubt. Also because you look at the, the players who are going to be competing for those positions. I've already talked about some of the players up front, but in midfield you've got uh, very good young players coming through, like, like uh, Verratti of uh, Paris Saint-Germain, you've got... Uh, Ferenzi coming through at Roma, you've got good midfielders coming through who are going to be competing with, obviously not with Andrea Pirlo and, and Daniele De Rossi, but with some of those guys like Montolivo and Aquilani, it's, it's going to be a lot tighter, it's going to be a lot more competition for places there. Um, I think that Diamanti is an interesting player to, to keep an eye on, because Antonio Conte, the Juventus manager, is, is quite keen on him, and if the transfer could be worked out the right place, he could, could yet end up at Juventus this summer, which would put him in a very different spot and allow him to, to prove himself, I guess, against much higher caliber proposition throughout the year. Um, and I think Jovinko, conversely, is a guy who's going to struggle to get any games for Juventus this season, mm-hmm. if he indeed stays this season, because they just signed Tevez and Llorente and are talking about still adding another attacker yet. So mm-hmm. there's, there's going to be a lot yet to be determined by where players end up after this summer and, and uh, how certain club sides are looking, because that's going to influence how much playing time guys get over the year. Fernando, Scolari played quite a similar 11 throughout all the games in the Confederations Cup. Very few changes between any any of the matches. And to name a few players, um, Fernandinho, Ramirez, Sandro, Kaká, Ronaldinho, Damiao, Cauchinho and Miranda. Do you think any of these players could push their way into the squad? And do you think Scolari might experiment a little bit more in the next 12 months to maybe evolve the side a little more, play the tree at the back that he worked so successfully in the 2002 World Cup. He definitely has the players with David Luiz and Thiago Silva and Dante at the back. Well, I think he's got pretty much the shape of his squad ready. I mean, uh, some players will will push in, I reckon. Uh, Scolari is actually going on a, pretty soon, I don't know exactly the date, but he's going to Europe to watch a lot of games, including Russia and Ukraine. He, he, was, he was told me, a source told me that he's, he, he wants to observe seven or eight players. The, the interesting thing is, he's also got a trip booked to England, so that, that could be the way he's going to watch a couple of other guys. Coutinho, I think Lucas Leiva deserves to be analysed as well. Brazil had a few problems with covering the 
the fullbacks during the tournament and and against Spain you could see that Alves for example wasn't bombing forward as he usually does he was much more involved into chasing his Barcelona teammates uh, well in regards to tactics uh, it will be difficult to basically immediately adopt a back three like Italy did main thing is when Prandelli called those three guys up they were the guys who played for Juve basically all the time they are teammates. They're used to play in that formation. Uh, neither Dante, Thiago, or David play in, in, in a back three at, at their clubs, and it certainly would be something a bit bizarre if you don't have time enough to practice to get these guys along. I'm not saying he's not going to try it. He's actually had he actually has rehearsed this kind of formation in practice. But as a game situation, like if we need to deploy some 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 B plan, this is what's going to happen. He usually does that as a way to hold the results. It was it was interesting to see one of their practice sessions. He was shouting at them as if it was a real game. We are one year up. Why are you guys going all forward? Come down, calm down, work the ball, etc. So it could happen. In 2002, the three guys were somehow involved in back threes. Lucio Leverkusen and Milson Rocky Jr. They, they were used to that. Uh, what do I see people coming in? I think this, this the, the, the left back, the left back position is still open, but I don't see another left back that could push into that. Uh, Felipe Luis had a very very good start, but Marcelo is basically the best one in the country. Marcelo though is very is bad defending, so he might have a second option, or somebody who can actually play a bit more like a like a like another defender there. Uh, I think a right back is fundamental. Alves is Alves, but if he gets injured, there's nobody there. Scolari took Jean, a midfielder, sometimes plays as a right-back for the role. And I think it's about time Rafael get, get, gets given a, ch- a chance. So maybe he's another of the players Scolari is going to watch. Rafael's been marked by that uh, back pass in, in the Olympics final, and I think it's quite unfair. If the guy can be a starter for Sir Alex... He can be a donkey, you see. So he 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 might get he might get another chance. Uh, the back four, Miranda Miranda is a good guy. He was called up by Scolari, but the thing is, Atletico had a very good uh, uh, Atletico Mineiro, right? Had a, in Brazil had a very good Libertadores uh, campaign, and Reva was fundamental. Reva is a massive guy as well. He's really tall, and let's remember Scolari really, really likes to play with tall guys now. He wants to increase the average height of the Brazilian uh, team because he's mesmerized by Gagin Pressen and by what Bayern Munich did to Barcelona. He thought that the, the average height of, of Brazil needed to be increased a bit. I think it jumped up a centimeter or two. Unfortunately, when Marcelo comes in, it, it goes down, but he just can't win everything. Miranda is definitely a player he admires and he could get a chance. Where do I see people coming in? Perhaps one of the Ukrainian guys Oh, you know, I think Fernandinho was not even in Ukraine anymore, but uh, he, he, he's, he, he could be observing. It could be an interesting uh, choice of a, of a more, you know, defensive player who can also pass the ball. But having said that, how can you take Luis Gustavo out of the team now? How can you take Paulinho out of the team now? And even Ananias, when he came in, he was really useful. So the only other guy who was a bit of, disapp- a, bit of a disappointment was Fernando. A guy in Grêmio that I've seen him play in Brazil last time I was here. I went to watch a Libertadores Cup match, and he was really good. He could multiply himself on the pitch. He didn't translate that. He didn't. He didn't bring that to the national team. But still a hell of a player. Also, Shakhtar bounds. Uh, 
to be honest, the biggest problem now is what to do with Lucas Moura. Lucas Moura ended up being really underused in this Confederations Cup, which was a bit of a surprise because Scolari was really praising him when he announced the, the squad before the, before the tournament. And it ended up that even Atletico's Bernard, the player that was supposed to be our Theo Walcott in regards to, be, to being given experience, ended up getting, getting more playing time and, and, and basically performing a bit better. So Lucas Moura is in a position that is a, in a dangerous position. He didn't manage to, uh, to, 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 to muscle in in the squad. I know that Scolari loves the, 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 the physicality of Hulk. Many people don't agree with him, but Hulk ended up being one of, Brazil, one of the most important players on the pitch for Brazil in this Confederations Cup because of the way he can basically bulldoze into people and this is a very physical Brazil. Uh, so I, I think we, we could see a, a, a surprise in the next few games, perhaps Lucas Moura losing his place in the squad. What's the um, opinion among um, Brazil fans t- towards Hulk? We've heard a lot of negativity towards how he's played uh, in this tournament. Is that, is that opinion shared by the fans in Brazil? It was until Sunday. But then on Sunday, for the first time since he started playing for Brazil, he left the pitch with the, with the crowd sh- shouting his name. So, like, like a bit of a call, American college finger, like, hoo, 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 <laughs> doing, doing that kind of like little, little, little how, whatever you call that, little bark. Yeah. And he was, you could see he was pleased. This, this is a guy who hasn't played in Brazil in, in his... Uh, his professional career, okay, he had a couple of games in the north northeastern sides, but then people only started hearing about him when he was doing, you know, playing Portugal. Then he went to Senate, and the Russian league isn't very particularly followed in Brazil. So for mm. many people, uh, this is a guy who oh, doesn't embody the dribbling spirit of Brazil. I'll tell you something, he can play. We can yeah. see in practice that he's got like a, a, an interesting touch that sometimes he doesn't show on the pitch. Besides, he's also lefty. And Brazil needs some some lefties to basically uh, you know give some more balance to the squad. He's got a very good shot. Just needs to put it on target. Mm. Uh, I think supporters started respecting him a bit more, especially after the Spain game in which he was totally committed to the team. Yeah, but I want to mention just quickly the goalkeeping situation with Brazil as well. Um, before the tournament, it was kind of talked about that Jefferson and Botafogo would probably be the number one going into the World Cup next year. But Julio Cesar has put in some superb performances when he's had to in this Confederations Cup. And Diego Cavalieri was also in the squad for a Liverpool goalkeeper. Who would you? Who do you think the three goalkeepers will be going into next year? With someone like um, Rafael from Santos as well being in the reckoning. Well, I think Cesar, unless he has a horrendous season or a truck runs over him, <laughs> will be the Brazilian number one in the World Cup. I mean, what a story of redemption. He comes back, and a lot of people were, uh, were not happy when, when, when he was called up as Colai. By the way, he's a Carlos Alberto Pereira influence. Pereira was a guy who, uh, you know, the technical coordinator and former World Cup winning manager. He is Colari's second, second in command, and he said, listen, let's give Cesar a chance. He's doing well for KPR. He's one of the reasons KPR wasn't relegated in September. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so let's... Let's put this guy. Let's put this guy in the team, and he, he, he got given a chance. People still remember remembered him for that uh, horrendous uh, goal attempt of goal clearance in in, 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 the, in the Holland game in South Africa. But boy, he's been amazing. He's been from 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 the, from the first game against England, and spe- I think he's specifically against Italy in in Geneva when he when basically Balotelli could have 
had two hat tricks in the space of 20 minutes. Cesar was unbelievable. And in the Confederations Cup, he had two nervous starts and people started kind of like mumbling again. Then he saves a penalty against Uruguay and has a, perhaps a bit of a world-class game against Spain as well. So he's a guy. Uh, Cavalieri won the league with Fluminense. Many people thought he should have been the number one because Cesar was playing in QPR. And you know, so somehow people thought that this 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 was a demerit for him. Uh, he should be in the squad. I think I think he will is a name to be around. And he said that he failed miserably. The Libertadores uh, made a made a go a normal goal kick look back back because he was caught out of position. Jefferson from Botafogo is also a good name, but they, these guys are all kind of like they no 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 spring chicken. So perhaps there is still time for. For another young goalkeeper to go around, Vito uh, from Atlético Mineiro saves the penalty in the Libertadores. If he wins the Libertadores, he might win a spot. But I think these three guys, these three guys mm. are the ones mm. most likely to go to the World Cup. I don't, I don't see uh, anybody breaking in. Yeah, um, Paulo, staying uh-huh. with um, goalkeepers, uh, Buffon came under a bit of criticism during this tournament, uh, unfairly, in, in my own personal opinion, because he certainly had a fantastic game against Uruguay. Saying that Buffon is most definitely going to be Italy's goalkeeper for the next World Cup, after that, looking further ahead, who's going to have the strongest claim to his throne? Yeah, it's a tricky one with Buffon in this tournament. He played very well against Uruguay, like you say. He made a couple of really important saves against Spain as well towards the end. Uh, at the same time, I, you know, I, I think he did make mistakes earlier in the tournament. I think he made a couple of critical mistakes against Brazil. I think he made uh, wasn't wasn't perfect against Japan either. And he's not as consistent as he was two or three years ago. And, and probably, if uh, if it wasn't for his name and reputation, there might be more of a discussion about whether he should mm. still be the number one. I, I think he probably should still be the number one for now. But there are guys, there are guys who are behind him who are very good goalkeepers. I think Federico Marchetti is probably the most likely to replace him in the short term. He's coming off an absolutely tremendous season at Lazio. Yeah, I'd agree with that. If he continues that sort of form over the next two seasons, uh, then I would imagine that after the World Cup, he's going to be the guy who, who gets the next uh, the next go at this. At the same time, he, he's not young. He's, you know, he's, he's, I don't know his exact age, but I'd say he's 28, 29 right now. So, yeah, of course, goalkeepers can go on for a while. He'll have a few mm. years after Buffon, I would have thought. But he's a—he's uh, not the the long term uh, forever this? answer. And, and in that department, you're still looking at guys like Sidigu, uh, uh, who's at Paris Saint-Germain, obviously, and uh, Emiliano Viviano, who hasn't had the best of years in Fiorentina. So I think his stock is falling a little bit. So there's there's perhaps a little bit of a uncertainty as to who it would be uh, as the long term successor. But I I think the Marchetti, especially after this year of Lazio, is Mm-hmm. Has established himself as as the clear number two, and, and an interesting guy actually, because he, he really could have been could have been uh, could have had a I guess a more productive career to this point if it wasn't for a, a ridiculous uh, situation he went through at Cagliari where he uh, made a comment to a reporter early in the summer of uh, the last World Cup actually, uh, saying that oh he was he'd been contacted by a couple of other teams about maybe moving away and he was. Uh, willing to listen to those, and then the reporter held the quote until right before the beginning of the season, at a time when he'd been told by the club, that one by all, which all of Canadian players were told by the club, they weren't allowed to speak to the press, and, uh, and so then this quote came out at a time when they weren't supposed to speak to reporters, uh, 
president in the roof and he got frozen out for a whole season, which was just a, a total waste of a talent. It should have been a total non-issue. And I think that really set his career back a little way, but I think he's definitely the, the number two up and move on in my eyes at the moment. Yeah, well, I certainly remember from the season just gone, his performance away at Juventus, which was simply stunning um, to watch. Um, would you think that his performances at the last World Cup will um, sort of weigh heavy on his shoulders? I mean, there was a lot of problems with that tournament for Italy, and I, I think that he was unfairly blamed in in some circumstances. But do you think that will weigh heavy on him? Is he that sort of character that will carry that? No, I, I think that's a lifetime ago now. And as I say, the situation with his pub team that came the year after that was, was so bizarre that it, it just feels like it's a whole different... Uh, it's almost like that's a, that's a, a war in his career and everything before that is just a whole different time. Yeah. I think that uh, I think that he's, you know, he's a more mature goalkeeper. I also think he's a better goalkeeper than he was then. I think he's learned a lot. And what's interesting to me is that his best performances for Lazio this season were in the biggest game, as you say, against, against Juventus. Actually, a couple of times during the cup as well, he was absolutely phenomenal against them. And I think he generally raised his game against the uh, in, in the most pressure situations against the biggest teams last year. He was responsible a lot of clean sheets. I think that he he has uh, he's grown up, and I think that he's he's ready for he's ready to take on a, a responsibility. Mm. That is just a question of when who wants to be ready to give it up. I'd like to ask you uh, both as well. Um, starting with you, Paolo. Uh, what what do you think Spain have got from this tournament? And uh, as we heard, Del Bosque conceding that Brazil were the better side on the day. Do you think they need to have a plan B after being pressed so much? by Brazil, um, they look to play their same passing style. Do you think they have to have a plan B because of looking void of ideas in that final? Um, I think... Uh, okay, Paulo, go, go, Paulo. Um, no, but I was just going to say, I, I felt like at times, to me in this tournament, Spain got away from, from the pressing themselves, which is something that I've always associated with this team in the same way mm. uh, in the same way that you associate with Barcelona. It's yeah. not just about the passing game, it's about their ability to press opposition it was interesting to me in, uh, in the semi-final against Italy. I thought it really didn't do a, a great job of pressing Italy's uh, back line. And when they did, they, did, they weren't very effective at it because that was the time when Italy managed to get more counted. But, um, you know, it's, it's always hard with the Confederations Cup because teams are... Everyone is tired at the end of a long season. And it's one mm. thing to motivate yourself to, to put in that extra uh, that extra bit of effort when it's a World Cup or European Championship. I still think it's maybe a little bit less of that uh, obsessive desire to win that comes in when, it, when it's a Confederations Cup. And, and I think it's worth remembering that Spain finished third in the last one. They still went on to win the World Cup afterwards. So let's, uh, let's not get despairing for them just yet. Well, I think that uh, dismissing Chiki Taka would be very premature. I mean, this is one of the, perhaps one of the five most important teams of the history of football. What they did has been, has been unbelievable. But... Every team has a moment of a, of a bad patch. I think the main problem with Spain uh, is the fact that some of their big, biggest stars had, had a very bad season in for, for, their, for their own standards. Uh, I'm talking about the two little guys from Barcelona, the two midfielders, and, uh, and, and they're not getting any younger. So I know they're producing guys in, 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 the, in, the, in the, youth, the youth system that can actually come in. I think Thiago Alcantara is a player that definitely is going to break into, into, into this side for 2014. The system works. The, th- the thing is, they, needed to, they need to get out of, uh, of their comfort zone because people have studied them loads enough to try to, 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 to stop them. Scolari did that. 
Bayern did that, and certainly Germany will basically go go do the same if they if they wanna if they wanna do it. Uh, the the main problems in Maracanã, I think, is the fact that Abreloa had a horrendous game. Pretty pretty much, it did this uh, this uh, uh, a right back who is not the best in, in his position, in my opinion, and who doesn't talk to his goalkeeper because they they had a fight at Madrid or something like that. So it's it, it's really weird. The Bosque needs to sort out what happened there. Because Neymar, oh goodness me, Neymar had in for a meal. Casillas another problem. I don't think he's the best Spanish goalkeeper now. So it, it, this needs to be to be addressed. They have better guys. A world class goalkeeper shouldn't have conceded the first goal the way he did. Having said that, the system is good. It's who just would, that sometimes people are going to go for you. Who would you have in there instead of Casillas? Well, the guy who played for Madrid, for Diego example. Lopez. Yeah, he had he had a fantastic season. Don't know why he was he was dropped. Mm. Uh, you know, he's, he's definitely a guy who should, who should do it. I think the hair should be in the squad in a way because he's a young goalkeeper and needs to, to to learn because these guys are not getting any younger too. But the big problem, in my opinion, is for me is if the new generation is going to basically be able to keep the pattern. I don't think they need to do anything differently tactically. They definitely have the, a system that really works when. Their players are, you know, are at the top of their game, but they do need a striker as well. Oh, Fernando Torres was the top scorer of the competition. Yeah, four out of his five goals were scored against Haiti, so there's mm-hmm. something really wrong there. I, I, in my opinion, I'm going to ignore the stats. Fred was the top scorer of the Confederations Cup, and if Fernando Torres had any balls, he would send that trophy to Brazil. Say, hey, mate, you have it because my trophy was a fluke. And he said that I'm a Liverpool fan who hates Fernando Torres. <laughs> I'd agree with you on that one um, that Torres doesn't really deserve the golden boot but on the right back situation in Arbeloa um, Daniel Caraval's obviously moved back to Real Madrid after a great season last season at Bayer Leverkusen do you feel he will now become that right back at Real Madrid next year and possibly push his way past Arbeloa into the Spain squad and possibly the team obviously Cesar Azpilicueta is there as well and Mark Montoya from Barcelona, who, if he was at any other club, would probably already be a starting player for Spain. But the fact that he's behind Dani Alves has kind of held him back slightly. Oh, yes, uh, Montoya. I spoke to Alves in, uh, in March when Brazil were in Geneva to play with Italy as we sat down for a while. And I was asking, oh, come on, man, tell me, tell me, who's coming? Who's coming from La Masia? I mean, is, is that somebody we should talk about? And he said, well, there's actually a guy who's going to make me work harder my space Montoya I really really rate him that guy will 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 be we were good so we we have from from Alves an, an admission that uh, you know that this, this boy is, is pretty much gonna gonna challenge him for a place uh, the Barcelona lineup and let's remember how Ronaldinho used to say that if you think I'm good just wait until you see Messi so that could be interesting as for Abreloa I think that this game will pretty much make a lot of things Change him at three. I don't know if, uh, what, what what Ancelotti is going to think about it. I don't know what Ancelotti, what kind of philosophy Ancelotti is going to bring to Madrid. Uh, but definitely, he, he showed that. Well, Neymar is going to be playing in Barcelona, and look what Neymar did to him. I think uh, Ancelotti will be thinking, okay, in the next El Clasico, I might have my own Maracanazo, my own nightmare coming around here. So, I I, I think Abreu is in great danger. Okay, and then. Um... You were at the final yourself in Rio, and there was a massive protest taking place close by. 
was it notable to spectators like Spain supporters and neutral fans as they walked into the ground? And do you think the problem will reoccur coming closer to the World Cup next year? Well, I think it will. I think, sorry, let me rephrase that. I think it could happen. It will depend on the government's response to everything that was demanded on the streets. The World Cup was just collateral damage, in my opinion. It wasn't even part of the of the of, of, of the agenda it started being part of the agenda because well the, the minority of people who were complaining about the world cup had a very good platform to to complain i think it's democratic i think it's legitimate that protesters hit the streets and fifa have basically to learn about it unfortunately they can't control everything i'm not saying it's good for the tournament it wasn't good for brazil's image like some some supporters had to walk into the station uh into the stadium near near when police was basically battering protests and people fighting on the streets. But also, this is the message I try to tell everybody from Europe when they talk to me. If you think Brazil is a country of Germanic efficiency, forget it. It's a country that's battling a lot of demons. It's a country that, that, that's basically growing up and all the economic strengthening that happened in the last 10 years did not change some of the situations. Am I against the World Cup? No, I think countries need big events to to, to assert themselves, to show themselves to the world, and you know, in football, how come you can't think of a, a of, 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 of the World Cup not coming here? But you know, you can't separate things. You can't basically make a bubble around stadiums and around the competition. So perhaps next year we, we might have a World Cup full of protests and perhaps with heavy police presence on the streets. But as you guys have seen it, have seen in the television, the the games were fantastic. The atmosphere was amazing. Mm. One thing I'd, I'd love to ask you about, uh, Paolo, it seems that we've asked everyone about this and um, it may never end. We asked Tancredi, we asked Marcotti. I'd also like to ask you about the Cavani situation and what 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 do you think will happen there? Um, because Marcotti said he, he expects him to stay at Napoli. I think it's going to come down to whether or not someone meets this release clause because I, I sincerely believe that Aurelio De Laurentiis will dig his heels in on this, and he's just going to say uh, the player has. He's, when he said this several times already. Cavani has a release clause, 63 million euros, and De Laurentiis' position also so far has been there's nothing we can do. If someone wants to meet that, then he's going to go. But basically, as far as as far as I can see, he has no particular reason to to sell the player otherwise. Uh, Napoli are a very well-run club. They are one of the few teams in Serie A to turn a profit reasonably consistent consistent. Not a huge profit, but a profit nevertheless. And uh, De Laurentiis himself has deep pockets. He's made his money through making films. He's not he's not someone who needs the money coming in. And I think everywhere in, in Naples is pretty clear on how important Cavani is. I think it was 31 goals in 34 games last mm-hmm. season. And, and even then, you look at those statistics and you think, wow, what you don't take into account when you look at numbers is actually he went something like eight games without a goal like during a period of during a period during which he was going through a, a slightly messy divorce. So it's easy to sort of connect those dots and say, well, uh, okay, maybe he was a little bit distracted from what was going on on the field and he wasn't playing as well as he, as he can do. So even with a, an eight-game eight drought during which maybe he was distracted by personal life, still scores 31 goals, it, it's pretty obvious that Napoli would not be in top three of course for Cavani. So mm. there's not really an incentive for him to sell. There's not really an easy to sell. And he's very aware of how important this player is to him. So... I don't see it happening unless someone meets that release clause. Now, I think there are teams who could meet that release clause. I think the Real Madrid could. I think Manchester 
the city could. It's a question of whether or not they think whether or not they're willing to go that far. And it, it seems like a team like Man City, which uh, I understand has made offers that are not so far short of that clause, seems like perhaps they're digging their heels in on a point of principle here, saying, "Oh, we're not going to go that extra eight million or whatever it would be to, to to bridge this gap because we think it's unreasonable." But my honest opinion is that a team like Manchester City, if they sign Cavani, uh, are going to get more even than they expect from him because I think he is an absolute phenomenal player when he's when he's played in his best position, which is leading the line. Mm. Didn't always play in that position for Uruguay in this tournament, and that's why I think we didn't always see the best of him. Uh, and I think that if he does go somewhere, he's going he's gonna to rocket into people's consciousness in a way that even now he perhaps hasn't. But like I say, it's, it really is a straightforward equation as far as I can see. Someone is either going to meet the 63 million euro release clause or then not. And if they don't, then he'll stay where he is, and if they do, then he'll go. And then uh, on another player in Serie A, we're constantly reading about Al Sharawi speculation and whether he will still be at Milan next year. Do you expect to see him at the San Siro next season? I think there's, a, there's at least a reasonable chance we won't. And I think it's a, a real, real shame because I think there's been far too much, far too many people quick to jump to the conclusion of, oh, he didn't score as many goals off about Italia, right? right? So the two of them can't work together. He had this phenomenal somewhat improbable start of the season where really he was the only reason that Milan were even in position to make a run at the Champions League places because they were a very poor team the first half of the season. His goals keep going. And, uh, and, and he's, he's a young player who's maybe not completely grown up there but certainly uh, uh, been there from a young age and been developed by the club and understands that he's one of their most saleable assets. But I think it would be a, a mistake to let him go now because I think he's capable of going on to much bigger things. Uh, that said, the reality for Milan is that they're not in the same position in Napoli. They do need to sell before they can buy, and if they're players that they think they need, then I can see how you come to the conclusion that he was expendable. You've got players in Balotelli and even Pazzini who scored good numbers of goals last season. You're not especially short in that department, especially with a guy like Vane Yang coming through as well. Mm-hmm. Al-Sharawi looks like a guy who on paper you to get rid of and, and make a good amount of money from and invest it in other areas, like in, in midfield and, and in defence that perhaps need more strengthening. But to me, it would be a big shame if he does go. How good do you think he could be? I think he can be very, very good. I think he's a uh, he's a technically very talented player, and that's the, the first thing you look for: is does he have the, the the close control, the understanding of the game, the, the touch? He has all of those things, and he has. I'd say he might be something of a confidence player at this stage of his career. He's a young guy, and you saw when he was up, he was very, very up. And towards the end of the season, he was missing uh, chances that you would expect him to take. But I think that when you really look at what he can do with the ball and uh, Again, his understanding of the game for a young player, I think, is very, very high. That's those are the things that aren't going to go away, even when you're in a good moment of form or a bad moment of form. Those are the absolute. Those are the things that you want to fall back on. One of my favourite players to watch over the last twelve months has been Bernardo of Atletico Mineiro. The way he links up with um, Ronaldinho and Joe is very impressive, and there's a lot of rumours linking him with moves away to. Porto to Shakhtar the net to Borussia Dortmund. What is his what is his situation at the minute? I've seen um, his agent come out today and say that he won't be making the move to Tottenham. So where do you think this is his best option and where's his most likely option? Well, that's a very good question. I think Bernard is a, is, is, is is one of those, is, is a is a is a blast of new wind because a Brazilian striker and Brazilian strikers have haven't been. You know, coming in drones recently, so it'll be really interesting to see how this boy develops. Uh, he's doing all right in Brazil. I think it, 
deserved his place in the, in the squad. Where he should go, it's, it's a very interesting prospect because he's a very tiny lad. He's shorter than me. You know, that's how I, that's how small he is. How little he is, yeah. And, uh, you know, well, a player like him will have to thrive in a competition where he can escape a lot without being totally hacked. I don't know about the Ukrainian championship, but it might not be the best place for him to develop his talent. Uh, I, I'm tempted to think that the Bundesliga, he would learn a lot tactically, especially if, uh, if, if, uh, if, he, if he goes to Borussia and Mr. Klopp stays there. It could be a very interesting learning curve for him. Uh, Portugal would be a safe bet, because then he wouldn't find it so strange, the change of going to Europe, because Portugal is much more cultural ties with Brazil than anybody else, while Germany he might really struggle. It will depend on the whole structure they put they put behind him. I would love to see him in England too. You know, it's 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 a it's a league which is very physical, but he would learn a lot a lot tactically as well. And players with, with his uh, with his kind of talents are very needed there with this more winger uh, profile. It's still in, the, in a very, very kind of like early stage. The, 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 my, my instincts say that he should stay another season in Brazil and try to build up on the whole change of expectations because he's, he's still too young, he's 20. But the way clubs want to cash in now, and Atletico is a club that's always operating on a string budget, is actually very interesting that they manage to collect all these guys on a, on a shoestring budget. Atletico might need to sell if somebody comes with a very interesting pros- uh, proposal. Hmm. Um, and one of the um, one song heroes really from Brazil Federation Club was Fred and he supposedly has a 1.7 million or 2 million release clause in his contract with Fluminense um, where do you think he'll leave Brazil or is it just going to be speculation due to how well he played in Federation Club it will depend on the package of course if somebody offers him a truckload of money he might flinch he might blink However, I think Fred is really settled in Brazil. He likes staying here. He is a country bumpkin, right? He's from the inner state of Minas Gerais. He doesn't like the whole glamour of Europe. He loves staying in Rio because Rio, he lives near the beach. He goes around, he goes partying. He's a serial scorer in other pitches, if you know what I mean. Uh, he's, he's enjoying his, his time. And in Brazil, he's much more respected than he's ever been in Europe because at Lyon, he had a, a so-so four years there, and he ended up being pretty much relegated to the reserves by the arrival of Milan Baros and uh, certain Karim Benzema. So I don't, I don't, I don't. Th- I think it scarred him a bit. It would depend. I mean, of course, if Real Madrid comes knocking, for example, he would, he, he, he could kind of like feel, feel a bit the depression and hesitate. But he, let's also remember, he's an almost thirty-year-old striker who behaves as if he was forty-five. I don't know if European football has a place for a guy like him. He seems a very specific kind of striker who fitted fantastically well at Scolari's uh, team and what a poacher he is. So, I don't know. Uh, it will depend a lot on what European uh, football wants from him because uh, from what I've seen, slow strikers as he is are not in, in high demand. Finally, Paulinho. Now he's um, set to sign for Spurs and at the Confederations Cup we saw him in a defensive role in a double pivot with Luis Gustavo. I was wondering what, Fernando, you could tell us about what um, creative abilities he has and how good he is further up the pitch. And um, I was interested to know your opinion of his performances at the Confederations Cup, Paolo, as well. I, I thought he had, a, he had a pretty good Confederations Cup. I think I'm always a little bit um, 
but I don't know if I've been unfair. Fernando probably, I'm, gonna, I'm probably thinking of uh, anecdotally of one or two players that Fernando probably will be able to recall. For mine, many for this wasn't the case. But my instinct tells me that a lot of times when, when Brazilians, and I would say to some extent uh, players from South America in general, come to the Premier League in particular, they do require a bit of time to, to bet in. They mm. take a little while to, to become as good as they should be. And that would be my, my, my reservation about Paulinho for Tottenham, is just whether or not it's going to be sort of, you're gonna, whether or not you're going to see that play we saw at the Confederations Cup uh, immediately in the Premier League. But I think he, he had a good tournament. I think he, he certainly was a, an influential mm. player and a, a player who uh, you noticed doing a lot of good things. And certainly, he certainly seemed to do a lot of good, of good things against Edby, I'll, I'll say that much. And um, you, Fernando? Well, Paulinho was a player that people had been following in Brazil for, for a long, long time because of, of his forays of Corinthians. He was a fundamental part of a squad who won everything after being, being relegated to second division. He's not. He's supposed to be a defensive midfielder, but he's a rare breed of defensive midfielder that, that bombs forward and scores goals. In one of one Corinthians won the league, he finished the season with like almost 15 goals. Mm. He can head a ball, he can hit a ball, and you can see how he can create as well. To the point where he was actually a problem for Scolari because he was almost like a second Oscar, and, and, and Scolari needed a, somebody who could actually form a, a guard dog partnership with, with Luis Gustavo mm. uh, in midfield. He has the qualities to thrive in England, and I totally agree with Paulo when, when, when we have to think the adaptation is not easy. He's not like Gilberto Silva. Gilberto Silva was more um, a more stationary player in terms of, uh, of Forrest uh, up front. But Paulinho can also defend, as we've seen against, uh, against Spain. And I think he's been one of the best Brazilian players of the last two years, and it's amazing to, to see that uh, it's taken so long for him to go abroad. He's yeah. a very shy guy. Not very fond of, 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 of the whole footballer's, footballer's life. He can be quite useful for Spurs. Where they're going to play him, I, I don't know. But this is a guy that's been fundamental for Scolari, and his Confederations Cup was amazing. You know, This is a guy who bailed Brazil out in that semi-final, scoring, finding that goal somewhere. Of course, he's not perfect. He's no, he's no Zico or Falcão. But he's surely kind of like developing a lot and it can be quite useful for Brazil in the World Cup. And I think if Spurs find a way to play him without freaking out when he doesn't learn too much of tactics, mm. that, that, that could be interesting. Because every Brazilian player, when they go to Europe, they have to learn the, the whole value of collectiveness, of how they have to reintegrate. Neymar, for example, we have a very, very important time at Barcelona when people are going to look at him and say, release the ball, hey kid, come back, you need to mark as well. Scolari helped him. Uh, actually helped both of them and I think that they, they would have another learning curve but boy if Pauline set us down in England he could be one of the players of the season one of the signings of the season in the Premiership Do you think it might help him a little bit that he did have a spell for two years earlier in his career with FC Valinus and LKS Lodz um, in Lithuania Poland that he has already sampled what it's like to play in Europe No I think he played in Mickey Mouse Leagues no disrespect to Poland and and Estonians or Lithuanians, but he never tasted the real action. And that's going to be his first uh, challenge. I remember Sandro telling me, Tottenham Sandro telling me that when his first Tottenham practice, he blinked and all of a sudden he found himself on an advertising board because somebody had whacked him off the ball. So Sandro's companionship will be quite important for, for Paulinho to settle. It's a different league. The, the premiership is quite physical. It's quite fast. And compared to Brazil, it's, it's like, you know, you're driving a, one of those little 
uh, wacky racer's car compared to, to a Porsche in terms of speed. And he's going to have to, to handle that. And I really don't think that the European experience he had so far is going to have taught him anything. <laughs> That's great. Um, thank you both for the time that you've given us today. And um, we've really enjoyed picking your brains and just having a good discussion about uh, the last couple of weeks in the, in the Confederations Cup tournament. And like I said, we, we all really appreciate you coming on and talking to us. We'd like to thank Fernando and Paolo for joining us, and thank you, listener, for joining us for the latest edition of the Sofa Football Podcast. Remember, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and at our website, sofafootball.com. Have a great week.